in many of my messages during the course of the pandemic, um, I have emphasized how different this year has been when compared to all of my previous years. I've often referenced the various challenges that we've faced in so many different areas of our lives. And considering the title of Finding Joy in Our Discouragements, I suspect that if pressed, virtually all of us would concede that we've experienced at least a moment or two of discouragement in 2020. However, today I want to remind you that this, while this year has certainly been different, if we pause for even just a moment of reflection, we would see that in at least a couple of ways, this year is the same as every other year of our lives. First, 2020 is not the only year that led to moments or seasons of discouragement. Going back as far as I can remember in my own life, which may not be all that far, because you know what happens to your memory, I personally could not find a year in my past that held absolutely no discouragement. I've had some really, really good years. I've had some years that were, eh, so-so. And I've had some years before 2020 that were really rough years. And all of those years had some moments of discouragement. So yes, 2020's been crazy different. But it's not been that different. Because every year has its challenges. Second, the potential to find joy in our discouragements and the path to find joy in our discouragements is the same in 2020 than it was in 2019 and it was in 2018. And the one is it was or the same path as it was in 1918. That hasn't changed. The the pandemic, COVID-19, all the other stuff of 2020 has not changed the potential for us to find joy, nor has it changed the path for us to find joy. <sighs> Again, I'm assuming that we all have some degree of familiarity with the Christmas story beyond Santa Claus. But the whole Jesus in the manger thing, the whole miraculous birth, the wise men and the shepherds, and many of the characters in the Christmas story have things to teach us about finding joy, even in our discouragements. But as you saw in the video today, we're going to focus upon Mary and Elizabeth and mother's joy. That scripture that we listened to or saw portrayed is from Luke chapter 1, and you can read that at your leisure. But I want us to think for just a moment about a mother's joy. And the first one that comes to mind, obviously, Elizabeth, she kind of started the story along with uh, Zechariah. And as the brief story made clear, Zechariah and Elizabeth had experienced deep, heart-wrenching, personal discouragement for virtually their entire adult lives. They had longed to have a child, and it just didn't happen. 
And they had reached a point where it didn't make sense that it could happen anymore. And some of you know what it is and how discouraging it is to long for a dream and you finally come to that point where you have to admit it's probably not going to happen. That can be an amazingly dark time. What I cannot comprehend as a man, what I cannot comprehend as a person who grew up in the culture in which we live, I can't comprehend how difficult it had to be for Elizabeth to be unable to bear a child in a culture where for a woman that defined much, most, if not all of her worth was her ability to bear and raise children. Year after year after year after year, she felt deep personal discouragement for virtually her entire adult life. There was the deep spiritual discouragement as she was part of a culture that many in their culture understood and was Zechariah's role in serving God, she certainly felt in a very real way how far and how much her nation continued to drift and stray from God. And if there's anything that can be discouraging to me, among the many on the list, one of the things that stretches me is to realize things are not going in the right direction, but to feel powerless to change it. So there was another level of deep discouragement. And then there's the deep national discouragement as a part of a nation that had longed for deliverance year after year after year, generation after generation after generation. Now, again, in our culture, uh, this whole pandemic thing has gone on plenty long enough for us. And we get excited at the, the suggestion that this or that or the other thing is going to bring an end. Well, maybe by January. Well, maybe by March. Maybe by spring. Who knows? But imagine if we were waiting for salvation to be set free, to be released from our discouragement, not year after year, but generation after generation after generation. Just try to wrap your head around if they came out on the news tomorrow and said, we've got great news. COVID will be eradicated by the time your great-grandchildren are adults. This is the kind of discouragement that Elizabeth, as, a, as an Israelite, had known, waiting for deliverance from their oppression. She knew a thing or two about discouragement. And she can teach us a thing or two about finding joy in that. And then I think about Mary, the other person who's up there. Just try to wrap your head around the discouragement born in the confusion of her unbelievable situation. I know I've talked about this in previous years. But again, just try to wrap your head around this young teenager who has an angelic encounter and is told she's going to have a baby and she's never been with a man before. She knows, because she's lived in that culture, she knows how people look at unwed pregnancies. 
how discouraging it must be to be in such an unbelievably confusing situation. She knew a discouragement that was grounded in broken dreams and shattered expectations. As a young woman who was engaged, if you will, to be married, I suspect she had many of the same dreams and expectations as most young women even today have when they're expecting to get married. And now she has to process the discouragement of realizing those expectations are just totally trashed. And she doesn't understand what's going to come next. She also shares in the discouragement of a nation that she loved, that longed for deliverance from oppression, and it just wasn't coming. Yet in the midst of those discouragements, God showed up through the angel Gabriel to show Mary and to show Elizabeth the potential to find joy and the path to find joy. You listen to the story. I'm going to share one verse from the middle of the story, and then I'm going to pick up where the the story, the speed sketch, stopped. This is Elizabeth. After the whole thing with the angel and Zechariah and her getting pregnant, after she's been pregnant, Scripture tells us, for about five months, she says this, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and take away, taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, understand, she still hasn't given birth yet. And as excited as some people probably were that her dream was being fulfilled, just imagine, don't name names because this would be really awkward, all right? Just imagine a 75 or 85-year-old woman in your life coming to you and saying, hallelujah, great news, I'm going to have a baby. Would that just be weird? Would you have a hard time wrapping your head around how do we relate now to my grandma who's going to have a baby? And and maybe great-grandma at that age, you know. How how do you wrap your head around that? And, And she... Even though she hasn't had the baby yet, she has to have had to deal with some kind of sideways glances at best. Imagine when the first person she told, beyond Zechariah, guess what, I'm pregnant. Can you imagine? But as she began to process this, she came to realize that God was in it. And even with the sideways glances and the questioning looks and the whispers behind her back, she understood that there was joy to be found regardless of her discouragements. After literally decades of discouragement, even though the baby hadn't even come yet, there was a glimmer of joy that she could lean into. And then Mary, again, in in uh, chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 66, it's called Mary's Song. She hasn't even given birth yet either. She's still trying to figure out 
all this is, she's dealing with all those side glances, sideways glances and whispers behind her back for being sure you haven't been with Joseph or any other man, but you're pregnant anyway. Right, wink, wink, nod, nod. Okay, she's dealing with all of that. But somehow, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the unbelievable, just flat, doesn't make sense. I desperately need stuff to make sense. And when it doesn't make sense, it's hard for me to find a place of joy. But Mary shows us it can be done. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. I don't understand it. I don't get it yet. But my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Still doesn't make sense. I don't get it. But this is where my spirit is. Not in my circumstances, not in my discouragement, but my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Verse 53, he has fulfilled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Somehow, through the divine inspiration, she grabbed hold of the reality that first of all, God was addressing her discouragement and she could find joy. But secondly, he was addressing the discouragement of her people and they could find joy. What I find significant about both Elizabeth and Mary and what they said in those verses I read, there were still elements of discouragement. There were still elements of confusion. Dreams had still been broken and shattered. The nation was still drifting. But after a real, personal, life-changing encounter with the hope, peace, and love of God, Mary and Elizabeth were both overflowing with joy. Their situation really hadn't even completely finished transforming. Yet they found themselves in a place of joy. (coughs) Excuse me. Rediscover Christmas 2020. What I want you to take away today is the reality that the example of Elizabeth and the example of Mary highlight a couple of reminders from Scripture that will help us find the same potential, the same path, and the same joy. And again, two very, very simple statements. Excuse me. Okay, Spence, I need you to turn back on. Thanks. Okay, um, 
Some of you are familiar with Nehemiah chapter 8. Others of you, perhaps less so, I've taught on it numerous times. Um, One of the great stories that, that I love to look to for inspiration. Just a very, 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 very brief thumbnail sketch. The nation of Israel has been conquered. <clears throat> they're taken into exile. While they're all scattered all over the known world in exile, Jerusalem, their home, falls into great disrepair, which is symbolic of the destruction and the discouragement of their nation. <clears throat> Nehemiah is one of those taken into exile. He is, because of his leadership quality and God's blessing in his life, he's given a place of influence working in the household of a foreign leader, someone who represents a nation who historically has no use for the people of Israel and has no motivation to see Israel restored. Yet God moves in that season. Nehemiah hears how terrible things are back in the homeland, and he longs and he prays and he he desires to see something change. And God gives him the opportunity to bend the ear of the leader that he serves who has no reason whatsoever to bless Israel, but God stirs in that pagan's heart and inspires him to release Nehemiah and to provide the resources for Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Obviously, in those times, walls around the city represented safety and security and protection. It was really hard to rebuild a city if you didn't have walls to protect it. So the first step in that restoration was to rebuild the walls. And God gave Nehemiah a vision to do that. And God miraculously intervened. Great stories, lots of stuff. Read Nehemiah at some point. But the the rebuilding of the wall is really a part of the restoration of the people of Israel, taking them from a place of great discouragement and giving them a sense of hope that one day their joy will be restored. And it's crazy the way it happens. It's just incredibly great stories. They're rebuilding the wall, and people are giving them grief. And, and at one point, the leaders are working. they got a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other while they're rebuilding this wall. What a great image. You know what? And they're working in shifts. You work, and I got your back, and, and vice versa. You work on an area closest to your home because you're vested in it. All that stuff. And, and literally... In less than two months, they get this wall rebuilt around their city. And God stirs in their hearts, and Nehemiah calls them together in Nehemiah chapter 8. And the priest, Ezra, begins to read from the Word of God, and God stirs in their hearts. And in addition to the restoration of the wall, God begins a spiritual restoration, a spiritual awakening, if you will. And they listen to the word and they begin to be overwhelmed with grief because they realize this whole mess is our fault because we as a people have been living in disobedience to God and they were just overwhelmed with guilt. They are literally, they're coming together in this wall they have built miraculously and they begin to weep over the guilt of their past failures. Can we say for the word of the day, they're discouraged? This just really stinks. You you know the experience when you mess something up big time, but it's your own fault. I mean, if something gets messed up and I can blame somebody, oh, it's so much better. 
But when that somebody is me, you've got, excuse me, speaking for myself, you're probably much more righteous than I am. But I've, I've got all this emotion built up. And I can't direct it at anybody else because it's my fault. And that's where these people are at in that moment of discouragement. And Nehemiah says to them, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I cannot tell you how many times I've read that verse to myself. I cannot tell you how many times people have written to me to encourage me and reminded me that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Part of me, part of what I admire about Nehemiah is some of the leadership lessons he has to offer. And in that moment... I think he understood by divine inspiration a great leadership principle. He understood that if they continued to grieve over their past failures, they would never be able to move fully past the discouragement of their past. And he wanted them to grasp that, yes, you blew it. He never says you guys didn't blow it. He just says... Now it's time for us to move on, for us to have a party, if you will, and lean in to his joy that will be our strength to move forward. Regardless, hear me well, regardless of what you have or do not have today, regardless of what you have lost this year or what you have gained this year, Regardless of what you feel or don't feel, there is joy to be found in Christmas because Christmas always has and always will represent the fact that God loves each of us enough to reach out to us at great cost to himself and draw us back into his loving arms. That joy is our strength. Peter says it this way. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Yes, we're discouraged, but we love him. Even though we don't see him, we believe in him. And we can be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. I have questioned a lot this past year. I've been discouraged a lot this year. Perhaps some of you have as well. But you know what? I've never questioned that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I've never questioned that he opened his arms and welcomed me in regardless of what an idiot I have been and regardless of what silly, irresponsible, poor choices I continue to make. I've never questioned. And therefore, because of the salvation of my soul, I can choose joy even when 
I'm discouraged. And so can you trust me? I'm not saying it's easy. Anything far from it. But it's still reality. Which brings me to you can choose joy. Like many other preachers over the years, I've stood up perhaps on this very stage or the stage that preceded it or back at the Holiday Inn or back at the Methodist Church and I've talked about, made a distinction between joy and happiness. You ever hear that? You know, you know, joy is, happiness is based on our circumstances and, and joy is, is bigger than our circumstances. And I, I've got some good stuff I could pull out my notes and show you. You'd be impressed. But anyway. <laughs> but today I'm going to do the opposite. I would bring them together as branches of the same tree. A tree that's rooted in our choices and not our circumstances. For us to find joy in our discouragement, we need to lean into the promises of God that his joy is always available for our choosing. James puts it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I know. Let's go back. Consider it pure joy. I think it's fair to say, I'm not an English major. Uh, I've made it my mission to butcher English as often as I can. But I think it's safe to say we could say choose pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I, I'm trusting you guys are all spiritual saints that when when trials come, the, your first response is, hallelujah, I am joy-filled, right? You feel me, right? Okay, so we're all on the same page because we're just all that. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's a choice. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And again, I, I mean, just, oh, please, Jesus, bring it on. Test me as much as you want, because I just know how good it feels to persevere. No. No. I would avoid it nearly at all cost. But perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. Now, Can I just say, let's pretend you've never heard Scripture before in your life. And I open up to James chapter 1, verse 4. And I said, would you like to experience perseverance finishing its work so that you can be, today, you can be mature, complete, and not lack anything? How many of you say, oh, give me a double dose of that? I I want to be mature. I want to be complete. I don't want to lack anything. But we do know what verse 2 and what verse C says. And so we have to accept the whole package. But it is a package that is worth accepting. The psalmist. Don't you just love the psalms? You know, to me... The Psalms are like a good, non-serialized detective story on TV. In one hour, you have a horrible crime committed, 
and by the end of the hour, the crime is solved, and the bad guys are either dead or sent to jail. And the rest of the people are getting on. It's, it's done in an hour. I love it. These ones who drag it out for a whole series, I, sometimes I won't even start because I just don't want to deal with the drama the whole way. I, I like done and done. And to me, the Psalms are kind of, I'm sorry, you know way too more about me than you need to. But the Psalms are that way. Cause, cause again, Psalm 13, Psalm 13 verse 1 starts out, how long? I mean, can you just feel this? How long, O oh Lord? How, how long is this gonna go on? Sound vaguely familiar? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Is this gonna go on forever, Mom? How long will you hide your face from me? Where in the world is God in all this nonsense? But, because this is, you know, the Psalms, by the time we get to the end of Psalms, I mean, just, just a few verses later, verse 5, I mean, that was 1, 2, 3, and 4 kind of continue the same theme. I spared you the details, but trust me, it's not better yet. But then we get to verse 5. Boom! But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises, for he has been good to me. Friends, I get, I get discouragement. But my discouragement does not change who God is. And I just have to lean into that at times. I wish, I wish when I'm at the how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? It's just never going to get better. I wish I could just skip two verses ahead and, and be at, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. I wish it was that simple. It usually takes me a little while of fussing and fuming and, and spitting and sputtering. But Nehemiah said it so well when it comes to finding joy in our discouragements. Go and enjoy choice, choice food and sweet drinks, just not at a restaurant. Okay, I'm just saying, all right. I just, just got to put it out, so let's be real. All right. <laughs> Get it to go, all right? (laughs) Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Every day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Friends, just, just bear with me. I'm almost done. When Nehemiah said that to his people, newsflash. They were still surrounded by their enemies. Their nation had still not yet been fully restored. They were just barely beginning to lean into the potential for spiritual revival that was stirring in their heart. Not a lot besides the wall had changed yet. Nehemiah was simply encouraging them to let the joy of the Lord give them the strength they needed to just take the next step and then the next and then the next friends God offers us the same encouragement let the joy of the Lord give you the strength to press on 
through whatever discouragements there are and then come back tomorrow for another dose and then another dose and then another dose. Pray with me. Father, I am so relieved that I can preach your word because dealing with discouragement is not something I could come to on my own. I thank you that you give us hope. I thank you that you will bring peace. And I thank you that you, through your divine Holy Spirit, your presence, your power, the example of the ages, and your holy word, and the encouragement of the saints that surround us, I thank you that your heart's desire is not to eliminate our discouragement. Your heart's desire is to help us find joy in our discouragements and to lean into all you are and all that you have for us. And Father, for those here today where my speaking of discouragement has been like twisting a knife in their gut because they're feeling it so deeply, I pray that the healing balm of your Holy Spirit would flow over them and do for them what my words never, ever can. Help us all to feel your presence. Help us all to find joy in our discouragements and help us all to be beacons of joy, helping others to find joy in their heartbroken moments of discouragement. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Worship team.